0: epiphany fellowships podcast where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of christ in every area of life we pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the word of god to dwell in you richly I am delighted uh, to be in front of you. It's been a while, uh, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to stand before God's people, proclaim God's word. I'm a little extra emotional today. I've been reflecting on the fact that it was around this time, 21 years ago, uh, that the Lord saved me. I was a 21 years. freshman in college and uh, though I had been raised in a Christian home um, and seeds had been planted and seeds had been watered, they hadn't sprouted yet. I was very skeptical about this Christian thing uh, and the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart my freshman year and I'm just grateful um, that he chose to do that. didn't have to, didn't owe me a thing. I was a sinner but Christ got a hold of me. I'm grateful, 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 grateful. So I honor him that's the very first thing I do. Also want to honor my, my bride, my queen, who's not, she's not here today. She was here, to, she was not here, not here in this service, rather. She was in the first service. But Ruth, if you're watching, love you, babe and appreciate you. Thank you for your support. And also my my, my co-laborers, my brothers in arms, Pastor Guest, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mac, Pastor Kurt. I know you're not feeling well today. We're praying for you, brother and Pastor E. Traveling. Bless you. Thank you for you and your wife, and your your service. So grateful to be serving here with such great brothers um, in the faith. I'm also grateful for this rebrand series. I've been enjoying this series a lot as we go through the different topics and represent God's perspective on a whole host of different topics. Today, uh, my task um, is to present to you God's perspective on three things. We're gonna call this rebranding, work, business, and entrepreneurship. Work, business, and entrepreneurship. We are. This is going to be a, a bit more of a topical and kind of systematic message. We'll have an anchor text that we'll use, which I'll read for you, uh, which will be Matthew 28, chapter 18 through 20. So I'll read that. We'll pray, and then we'll we'll dive right into the word of our Lord. So we read the scripture. So Matthew chapter 28, 18. The context here is Jesus has risen, and He's speaking to His disciples on the mountain. And it says, uh, the 11 disciples, I'll I'll start in verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. My God and my Father, my my Savior, thank you uh, for walking with this sinner, uh, for redeeming me and watching over me, Lord God. And uh, I pray, uh, Father, that you would use me today to proclaim not myself, but the greatness of your Son. Help your word to feed your sheep, Lord God, and to feed me, I too, am sheep and in desperate need of you, Lord God. Strengthen me by your spirit, I pray. Amen. The average person will spend a third of their life working. Some kind of work. And by work, I don't necessarily mean that you're going to an office. Just any type of work. Could be at home or it could be a student. Any kind of work. One out of three days of your life spent at work. But because another one of those days actually spent asleep, if you think about it, you're going to spend half your productive hours working. That's a lot of time, a whole lot of time, half your life, right, when you're awake. And yet, in my career, and even in ministry, I find that most people haven't given a lot of thought to, how should we approach work? Just kind of do it. They show up, they do what they need to do, they go home. But most people haven't thought through, like, what, what is this work thing? How do I think about it, right? What's interesting is that I think even outside the church, people think about it a lot more than we do. There is a whole array of messages and books and self-help, etc., videos, whatever you want to get, that try to teach you how to work, try to teach you how to do business, try to teach you how to do entrepreneurship. But in a church... We don't talk that much about it. We are, tend to be receivers rather than proclaimers of God's perspective on these things. So I want to fix that today. I want to give you God's perspective on the topics of work, business, and entrepreneurship. So let's define some of our terms. What do I mean by this language when I say work, business, and entrepreneurship? Because I don't want to be, there to be any confusion as to what I'm talking about. So again, this is going to be a bit more systematic. We're going to jump around a little bit through the scriptures and get God's perspective on these topics. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2 because there are a couple of things I want you to learn about work. And let me give you the definition first. Work is the application of effort to a task. The application of effort to a, a, a task. And a couple things I want you to know as we define work from the scriptures is that God is the first worker. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, the scripture says this On the seventh day, God had completed his work work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done so the first worker, the first time we see work, God is the one doing the work right, so in the beginning there was only God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally existing and there was nothing else no angels, heaven didn't exist no planets, nothing, just God, right the reason why there is anything is because God did work God applied effort to the task of creating all things. So God is the first worker, right? That's the first thing that you need to know. Because of that, because God is the first worker, by definition, because God is involved in it, work is good. Because God does not do evil, right? So work in of itself, because God does it, means it's good. When God touches something, it's good, okay? Work is good. God is the first worker. Now, something else for you to know. God works for his joy. In Genesis chapter 1, when the very first work is done, he says, "And God said, 'Let there be light.'" That's work, and there was light. God saw the light that w- saw that the light was good. That reference is the, the way that God is reacting to looking at his work and be like, "Yo, that's dope. Look what I did." Right? God enjoys his work. God is pleased with his work cuz God is perfect so when God does something it's nice right and so God is delighted in his work right God works for his joy which means God doesn't need to work God ain't collecting a paycheck he's not checking in checking out to support himself he's doing it because he wants to right he's delighted in in his work it doesn't add anything to him He's not lonely. He's not upset. He's not trying to satisfy himself in some way. He just does it because he enjoys it. Right. So, again, as we're defining work, which, again, is the application of effort to a task. God is the first worker. God works for his joy. Right. And God intended and made us to reflect him in that way. That when God made human beings, we are workers. Right. Adam had a job. Right? Eve joined him in that job when God made her. He put him in the garden to work it and keep it, right? God intended that we would also work for our joy, reflecting his work, right? He is the first. We come after him, but we are image bearers and and are to carry things out in the same way, right? So God made us and gave us work for our joy. Now, the fall happened, right? And we can't talk about work without also talking about what happens. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, when after we ate of the fruit, we, we stepped outside the boundaries of what God had called us to do, and he judges us. And, and it's interesting that what God does to Adam, as the federal head of humanity at that time, applies to all of us. And listen, listen to what God says. He says in verse 17, he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. Here's what he says. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor. All the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. This marked a transition. As God responds to our sinfulness and our rebellion, he adds pain to work. So when you when you do your work and you don't like it and it feels burdensome and hard this is why that we are living under God's judgment and the way in which he is judging us and, and and causing us to remember the painful the painful the painful sting of our rebellion is through every time you do a little work you can feel a little sting you get weary and he also connects provision to work Adam did not need to work to eat Neither did Eve. But what he's saying here is that the way you will eat, the way I will provide for you, is through painful labor. Right? So he's put a a, a pain into work, right? That does not change the fact that work is still a good thing. But under God's punishment for sin in this broken world, you experience pain and difficulty and struggle in your work. Right? So that's defining work, which is the application of effort to a task. Let's talk about these other terms you see all over social media, right? Business and entrepreneurship. Everybody's a businessman, all right? How do we define business and where do we get it from in the scriptures? Business is the organized effort by one or more people to offer something that others will purchase, right? The organized effort by one or more people to offer something that others will purchase. Where do we get that from? Actually, let me define entrepreneurship as well. Entrepreneurship is the work of starting a new business. So they're, they're related, right? Where do we get that from? Where do we see that in the scripture? If you flip forward in Genesis as things are starting up, this is the startup of, the, of humanity and the society, right? Genesis chapter four, you see something interesting. After the fall, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. They're having kids. And then the scriptures zoom in on these two particular brothers um, in terms of what happens with them. So in, 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 chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says this. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, the older brother. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel, the younger brother. Now, key verse. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. So the younger, the younger son, he focuses on shepherding. The older son is a, a farmer, right? He, he, he worked the ground. Now think about it this way, because again, remember what business is: the organized effort by one or more people to offer something that others will purchase, right? Intentional or not, when Cain is farming in the ground and, and growing grain, eventually he might want some sheep to eat with his bread, right? Because he can get the bread from what he's uh, from the, from the wheat and everything, right? Same thing with Abel. When he's having his sheep, he have got plenty of sheep and he can eat sheep, but eventually he might want some bread to eat, right? That exchange is business, right? That the business requires specialization, right? So you have some people specializing in this thing and they produce a surplus over their own needs. You have other people producing something else, they produce some kind of surplus and there is an exchange that happens and that's business. Right? Organized effort by one or more people to offer something that others purchase. And by purchase, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, money. It could be you're exchanging goods, right? Sheep for grain and, and vice versa. Or you're exchanging labor, right? If you do this for me, I'll do that for you, right? But the idea is that you are exchanging something, you're offering something to somebody else that they purchase from you in some way. Entrepreneurship then, you can kind of see that here, is as society is starting up, people are starting to specialize in different things and collaborate together, which you'll even see as Babylon happens, the power of Babel is built. People are working together collaboratively to build and and create something, and they're starting businesses. They're being entrepreneurs, right? which actually is working out of the divine mandate to be fruitful and multiply to, to subdue the earth. That part of the reason why we start stuff is because God starts stuff. That is, he's built into us to be creative and to create things, to build institutions and to build new, new entities, right? That's part of how God has made us. So business and entrepreneurship, again, I mean, define those again. Business is an organized effort by one or more people to offer something that others will purchase, and entrepreneurship is the work of starting a new business, right? So now we have our terms. We, have, we know what work is, we know what business is, we know what entrepreneurship is, right? Y'all with me? Still here? All right. Just laying the groundwork. The key question then, as I said earlier, is how should we think about that? Because if God created work, if God intended for us to do business and entrepreneurship as a part of working out the divine mandate to be fruitful and multiply, then certainly God has a perspective about these things. What is that perspective? Because how can we fulfill the divine mandate if we don't think about the one who gave the mandate and what his instructions might be. Related to these things about which you're going to spend half your life. Right? Half your life in some kind of work. So I want to answer that question for you. How should we think about work, business, and entrepreneurship from a biblical perspective? And I'll tell you, I'll give it to you for free right now. All right? Two points. You have to know who rules And you have to know your role. Know who rules and know your role. Right? Let's go back to Matthew, our kind of foundation anchor text. Right? Listen to what Jesus says. He says, all authority has been given to me. You know what all means? All. No exceptions. No corner of the universe that is outside of his rule and reign. Nothing about which he says, I'm not the boss of that. Right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Everywhere, everything, every being reports to me. In Genesis chapter 2, when God is giving Adam his job, when you look at that passage I love that passage. He says, and he says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. You know what's interesting? God doesn't ask permission. There's no negotiation. There's no discussion about, Adam, do you, you want this job or not? I made you. I tell you what to do. It's that simple. God's perspective is, I am the boss. I never stop being the boss. You never stop being my employees. You work for me. Whether you like it or not, you have to know who rules. Everything that you do is under his rule. Christ says in Revelation chapter 22, he says to John, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's like, there is nothing over which I don't command. you got to let that sink into your soul. That as you wake up in the morning and you go to work or whatever the type is, Jesus is your boss. Jesus tells you what to do. Jesus tells you when to do it, how to do it, why to do it. You have to know who rules. John chapter 13, verse 13, he says to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord. And he says, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. When you call me boss, yep, that's who I am. That's his perspective, and it should be ours as well. Colossians 1, verse 16. I love this passage, one of my favorite verses in the scripture. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. This is a nice hook. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I mean, who says that? Right? He's covering all his bases, whatever you want to call it, wherever it is, it's mine. All things have been created through him and for him, which means everything has a purpose to please Jesus. That's a boss statement there. All things created through him and for him. Put the slide up with the logos, please. Look at all this. Right, all these LinkedIn up here, Burberry, Land Rover, Netflix, right, Apple, Honda. Guess what? Jesus's. Every single one. Jesus says, "This is mine." It doesn't matter if you started it. It doesn't matter if you invested in it. It's mine. You did it with my stuff. That is the perspective that God has about his universe, right? He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, king of kings. If you're a king, he's your king. If you're a lord, he's your lord. What does the father say to the son in Psalm 2? You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession, There are no limits to his authority. There is no division between church and not church. God runs it all. You don't, he does. Right, you have to know who rules. If Jesus was gonna hand you his business card, it would say Jesus Christ, founder and CEO, everything. Everything. And you have to know and understand this and get this into your heart and into the way that you think that when you show up anywhere, you are, ex- you are living in part of his kingdom. Right? Let's talk about the kingdom. Go to the next slide with the kingdom graphic, please. This is, how, this is God's perspective, and I'll give you a, a scripture for this. Daniel chapter 7. One of Jesus's, probably his favorite phrase or self-descriptor, is um, the Son of Man. If you read through the New Testament, you, see, you say, who do they say the Son of Man is, right? And that was actually a divine title because in Daniel chapter 7, he, Daniel sees a vision. And listen to this, right? It says, Daniel says, I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man. And that means somebody that looks like a human being, right? Was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days And was escorted before him. And this is what God the Father says to the the Son of Man. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It never ends. That will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So all of reality is under the kingdom. Heaven or earth, spiritual or physical, whatever it is, wherever it is, it's part of the kingdom. Uh-huh. That's a top level. The only thing above the kingdom is God, yeah. right? As the king, right? The king rules the kingdom. Underneath the kingdom, inside the kingdom is physical reality. There's also spiritual reality, but our universe, all the, the planets, the stars, Jupiter, everything else that's out there, right? Part of the universe, right? Billions of galaxies, etc. part of the universe. Earth is a small part within the universe, on earth, there's humanity, right? You got animals, etc. cetera. They're all part of earth. And then what, there's what I call the CEO's team, right? The people of God, those he's drafted onto his team. And if you believe in him, then that's you. You're underneath this, right? This is the structure. This is not up for debate. That's just the way God did it. And whether you like it or not, this is the way it is. Right? I'll give you an example. If you walked in here today and somebody came off the street and was like, yo, man, I pastor this church. Hey, who are you? <laughs> it doesn't matter if they put out a, a Facebook post about it. I'm the pastor of 50 Fellowship. Right? If they're not actually the pastor, they're deluded. But that's how we act. <laughs> this is the way God runs things. You don't like it? Oh, wow. Well. He's not changing his structure because you don't like it or you you believe you're something else. There is only one boss, right? This is the way that God has set up reality, like it or not. You have to know who rules. But there are competing ideas to this idea that God is the one who rules. And the reason why is because sin broke everything. Right? We've talked about Genesis chapter three. Go to the next slide with the the, yeah, we've talked about Genesis chapter three, where God comes to Adam and God judges Adam and Eve because of their sin. They rebelled against what God had said. They said, I'm going to rule, I'm going to seek my own agenda. Right? Sin broke everything. And because sin broke everything, there are now competing perspectives on who is in charge? How should this whole thing work? Right? So I'm gonna talk about two of the common ones. That where people are trying to come up with solutions to the fact that the world is broken. But if you look at them closely, what you have to realize is they are actually ideas about different ways of structuring lordship. Right? First one, capitalism. Right? Let's define that for you. What is Capitalism an economic, this is Oxford English Dictionary, an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. Underlying that idea is that who rules, who decides what goes on, is the market, right? That individuals simply pursue their own interests, and we kind of see how things play out, right? Who rules? Nobody. The market does. Market forces do. Selling and buying does, right? The problem with this idea, right, is that what happens when a private owner in pursuit of their own profit decides that they're going to define that interest and profit off of exploiting somebody else? Because we're all sinful, right? But if I can get rich by using you and not paying you for it, If I can get rich by taking some kids and putting them to work, I'm pursuing my own interest. I'm making money. Nobody can tell me what to do. It's a free market. How do you handle that? What's the problem there, right? But again, who rules in this system? The market. People just do whatever they want to do, right? Second idea, again, these are people coming up with ideas of how to fix and structure the society, right? Second idea, and there are lots of these, I'm just picking the two biggest ones that are all over our society, socialism. What's socialism? A political and economic theory of social organization, right? how do we structure things, which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole right? So reacting against the idea of capitalism, where it's individual owners pursuing their own interests, everybody's controlling their own thing, and all this exploitation can happen, they're saying, no, 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 no. the way you fix all that problem, all that mess, all that sin, all that exploitation and slavery, etc., is we all own it together, which is kind of appealing. But guess what? The people who are making the decisions for the community, they're still sinful. So you end up with the same kind of problems, right? Because what governing body can effectively make all decisions sinlessly? And so you, it sounds nice, but you still wind up with the same issues. Exploitation. Crime. Murder. In pursuit of whatever interests you think they are. Let me bottom line it for you. We are not capitalists and we are not socialists. We are neither one. You don't have to pick. They are both advocating for different perspectives in the biblical one about who runs the show. Capitalism says the market runs the show. Socialism says the government runs the show. And whatever form of government you think of, right? whether it's a small group or a large group, not God. Right. In fact, most socialist, socialist systems have atheism as a foundation. Right? The biblical view is what I would call theocratic fiduciarism or stewardship. Right. And this worldview advocates that all things are owned by God. Naked you came into the world and naked will you leave it. You own nothing. Not ever. What you control existed before you got here. It'll still be here when you're in the ground. As we see in Jeremiah 27, God says, by my great strength, by my great strength, I didn't need you to do it. By my great strength and outstretched arm, I made the earth, the people, and animals on the face of the earth. And what does he say? I give it to anyone I please. So, the biblical view is not that we own anything. It's not the state, the government, me, or you. God owns it all. Every cent in your bank account belongs to God. He gets to tell you what to do every single minute of every single day with everything in your life because it all belongs to Him. We are simply managers, stewards of His resources. His time. His breath in our lungs. All you get to do is manage what is his. In Luke 12, God says to the rich fool, this very night your soul is demanded of you. Give it up. Not even your soul belongs to you. I decide how long you live. How you die. You don't own anything. You' not the boss of anything? You might manage some stuff, but don't let it get to your head. There's only one CEO of the universe. We all are servants, employees. We serve at his pleasure. We're not capitalists, we're not socialists. We are stewards of God's creation. The Earth. And everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, Psalm 24 says, belong to the Lord. For He laid its foundation. He's the founder of everything. So you're going to think rightly about work, business, and entrepreneurship. You've got to know who rules. The second thing is you have to know your role. And what's key about this is that God, as the CEO, as the boss, as the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords, he might have different assignments for you at different points in your life. But all of us have the same role. The difference between a role and an assignment is a role doesn't change. It's kind of who you are. Assignment is something you're doing at the time, right? Your role, all of our roles, the role of humanity... Right? When God says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he says, let us make mankind or humanity in our image according to our likeness. Right? Jesus, picking up on the same theme in Matthew 28 in our anchor text, he says, go therefore. After he says, I have all authority, he says, go therefore. Both those verses, Genesis and Matthew, pick up the same theme. Our responsibility, part of our role is to represent God. Right? We are made in his image. We are sent by him to represent him. So no matter what type of work you're involved in, a key aspect of your role is to represent God. Represent God. Not your own agenda. Represent God. That is fundamental to human nature. It's part of who God made us to be. We're to represent him. In that that text, in Genesis chapter one, when he says, let us make humanity in our image, that word image is actually the same word used in other places of the scripture to refer to an idol, right? And and we don't really see idols in our culture, but I did some traveling in India a couple years ago for my old employer, and I was struck that driving to work, you could look out your window and see idols, like legit idols with like covered in flowers and people like bowing to it, and people pouring out milk, on the feet of the idol, right? And, and, and if you talk to those folks, right, Hindus, right, about why are you doing that? They would say, well, this is not my God, but this idol represents my God. And so I'm showing it honor and bringing it even, sac- bringing sacrifices to it in terms of food and those kind of things and milk because I want to honor my God in terms of this thing represents my God, right? The scriptures intended, God intended, that humanity would be like that. That humanity would so reflect him that we could be called an image of him. Right? We are not him in the same way that the idol is not the God, right? In that other theology, but we're supposed to be so reflect him that they could see who God is and what he's like and what his agenda is about by looking at us. Imagine if we actually did that if we truly represented God, where the the, the aspects of his image and of his glory and of his truth and of his beauty could be seen in us. That was his goal. That's what Jesus commissions us to do. Go, therefore, on whose behalf? On mine. What is he doing? Conforming us to the image of Christ. We make disciples to look like Christ. We are to represent God and to call other people to represent him, right? Regardless of what type of work you're doing, wherever you are, whether you're in school or you're the CEO of Comcast, right? Represent God is part of the key human image. The second aspect of it is that we are developers, right? What I mean by that, if you think about what happened with Adam, God made the garden and he left the rest of the earth undeveloped. And he said, Adam, I'm going to put you into the garden to work it and to keep it. The idea, and be fruitful and multiply. The idea was that Adam and Eve, as they had kids and built society, would flood over the earth and develop it, right? And make the entire earth look like the garden. Build cities and institutions, right? To look like the garden, to develop it. And that's what God himself does. God is a developer, right? The spirit of God hovering over the waters creates order and develops. Right? And so we are supposed to, add in our role of representing him, be developers. We make the kingdom better. That's a key part of our role. So you have two aspects to your role. Under knowing your role, you represent God, and you develop, you improve the kingdom. So when you wake up, your, your thought should be, I'm going to represent God today, and what in the kingdom needs to get better? Where can I apply my efforts, my work? To develop the kingdom, to bring more glory to the owner. Right? Represent and develop. Right? Those are the key aspects. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is, is someone who represents their country to another country. They're speaking not on their behalf, but on behalf of the country they're representing. We are ambassadors of Christ, right? The verse continues to say, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, that's that representation language again, be reconciled to God. So how do we start to apply some of this to work, business, and entrepreneurship? If we are representatives of God, if we are developers of his kingdom, then all these critical questions in the area of work, Business and entrepreneurship should be flowing from that perspective, right? So, put some questions up. How should workers be paid? Right, big question. how do we pay people? God has a, an opinion. Leviticus nineteen thirteen: Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. Pay people, right? Real simple. <laughs> You know what's interesting about this word, this this verse? Is it calls it oppression? Right? Slavery, oppression. Wages held back that were owed. God has a perspective on that. Underpaying people. God has a perspective on that. If we are gonna represent and develop, where is the church? on those issues? Why does the world have all the, the airspace and airplay about these issues? When God has been saying stuff for thousands of years. That's an old verse. <laughs> right? You're going all the way back to Leviticus. Right? But we seem to have forgotten that our role is to represent God and develop his kingdom. Next question. right? And I, I just picked a couple of them. Right? um another verse on on, on paying people right he said isn't he really saying it for our sake he's talking about the oxen yes this is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop that if people are showing up and working and being diligent they should do so in hope of participating in what's um what 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 the the growth and the benefit that's happening right keep going how should we work right what's how should we show up at work Ephesians 6, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, right? Your ultimate employer. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. God's paying attention to how you show up at work, right? Next question. How to think about ambition? Everybody wants to blow up, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing means nothing. Or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, well, that kind of kills capitalism, <laughs> but also for the interests of others. Isn't that nice? Because that's what the socialists are trying to get to. They're trying to say, how do we make sure that everybody's interested in taken care of? Right here. Serve God. Right? He's the answer, he's the solution to everything. Keep going. Is there another question? How do we think about making money? The two verses on this that I think are interesting. No servant can serve two masters, this is Christ, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You gotta pick. Either your objective is to get rich or it is to please Christ. They don't go together. Does it mean that you can't make money? No. Not what he's saying. Go to the next verse and I'll explain that. This is Proverbs 31, right? It says, she sees that her prophet, this is, and Proverbs 31, for those who might not be familiar, at the end of Proverbs, the the whole book is summarized in this image of a woman as the height of wisdom, right? Beautiful picture. And one of the things it says is that about this woman who's personifying wisdom, it says she sees that her profits, now profit is the gap between what you bring in and what you spend, right? That simple. Profits are good and her lamp never goes out at night. So she's a moneymaker. She's doing well, right? But yet, under what context? A woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Nothing wrong with making money. Nothing wrong with having a good profit margin. But do you fear the Lord? Is it about the money or is it about Jesus? Right? What's your, what's, your, what's your purpose? Who's ruling? What's your role? How do you understand that, right? Keep going. Next one. Right? So a few suggestions as I wind down. I'm running out of time. I have two minutes left. Um for applying all of this. Right? How do we think about this? Right? And so what are some application points? Because of your role is to represent and develop, take the time to learn something and to keep on learning. Right? Pursue knowledge, of scripture would say. Because part of what you're developing is also yourself. Right? Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of hands, which means that there were gifts there that he had to actually develop. Right? So you should constantly be learning right, and developing. Right? Keep in mind the purpose is to please the CEO by improving the kingdom. We talked about that, right? That's your that's your ultimate goal. Whatever you're doing, you're trying to say, how do I please Jesus? How do I improve the kingdom? How do I make his kingdom better? Right? Keep going. I love this one. Prove you can manage a little well before seeking more. So often we get into trouble because we have our eyes way over there and not right where we are right now. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do greater ministry, or, or even get a promotion, etc., as long as it's submitted to Jesus, right? But think more about how am I managing where I am because ultimately the one who promotes is the ultimate boss. Yeah. Remember that verse, I give it to anyone I please? Yeah. You don't rise or fall through your hard work, yeah. right? The scripture makes that clear. Not by might, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Unless the Lord guards the house, the watchers watch in vain. Right? It is the Lord who decides whether or not you're going to get that promotion. The Lord who decides whether you're going to get into that school. It's all him. So you might as well get around to pleasing him. Right? Hard work, sound management, and profit-making. We talk about profit-making. Right? Be humble. Right? If Jesus, the boss of all bosses, could humble himself, how much more should we humble yes. ourselves? How much more? Right? Seek a lot of advice, but choose counselors, not yes-men or yes-women right? Work hard. I mean, that goes without saying, right? Work is unto the Lord. Be disciplined about time with the Lord, family, and resting. The reason why so many people overwork themselves is because their objective is to either please themselves, satisfy themselves, or just get rich, right? And they will harm themselves and harm others, harm their families, because they have the know-who-rules part wrong. There's always going to be more work, Right? There's always going to be more work. There's always going to be more money to make. Right? At the end of the day, do you trust Jesus? Do you work for him? Is he the one that's taking care of you? Right, So it touches on everything. But at the end of the day, one of the things we have to remember is we're not doing these things to make God happy. Right? We are, in a sense, but ultimately, if that was the standard, we'd all fail. We all fail regularly. Right? And yet God is pleased with us because of the, the, the God-man, Jesus himself. He's the one who replaced Adam as the second Adam. He's the one who, on our behalf, perfectly in every single area of his life, represented the God perfectly. He's the one who developed and continues to develop the kingdom. It is through faith in him that we get the energy and the strength to even even begin to think about representing and developing. It's all about him. He both rules and he's our example and our purpose, right? And one of the things I love about thinking about God or Jesus as the boss is I have employees in my startup, and they do work and I pay them, right, and reward them. In the kingdom, God does work and I get paid for it. Isn't that crazy? Come on, Pastor. Jesus showed up, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, paid for my sin, and I get the benefit. (laughs) Without doing nothing. All I gotta do is thank you, and that's it. Can you imagine that? Show up to work, thank you, and you're done. But that's what God offers to us in Christ. Right. The, the best boss ever. Right. Someone, you know, before you even get into his team, he's already done all the work. Serves it up for you. Come. All you labor and or heavy laden, I will give you rest. Right. That's the offer that he offers to all of us. Right? And if you're here today and you don't know him, you're not on his team on his behalf. I want to make that offer to you. You can join the team. You ain't got to, you have to do nothing except the gift, right, of Christ, right? If you want to do that, please talk to me, talk to Pastor Mark, Pastor Mac, Pastor Guest. anybody here, um, we would love to talk with you more about what it means to to join Jesus's team, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. I'm so grateful that despite my sins and my flaws, my failure comprehensively to represent you, that you drafted me, you got a hold of me 21 years ago, and you continue uh, through the power of the gospel to redeem and keep me and to give me opportunities to represent and develop, Lord God. Thank you so much for your good grace. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the cross. I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this room that they would feed on your word, that they would not just be hearers of this word, but also doers of it. As we sang earlier, that they would ground their house on the firm foundation, which is Christ. Help us, Lord, as we work, as we engage in whatever work it is, whether we're at home or we're in the business or nonprofits, whatever we're doing, students, help us, Lord, to know that Christ is our boss and not a begrudging or a mean one, but one who loves us and died for us. One who has done the work for us. Help us to respond out of love and honor for him, Lord God. Help us to develop the kingdom so that you might be pleased. your name we pray all these things. Amen.